0: What's up everybody happy thursday to all of you this is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast part of the cincy jungle podcast network all of course under the sb nation podcast umbrella i'm anthony kazenza joined by john sharon and we john sharon will be joined by a very special guest tonight mr tim mcgee it's been almost an ex- a year to the day since he's been uh back on our program i believe and a lot of things have gone on since his last appearance looking forward to it
1: yeah, man. I mean, last time we had him on, he was talking about his favorite play. I still have it written down in my notes. I might bring it up or not. But for, for everyone out there who doesn't remember, it's flip right, two receivers on one side, Eddie Brown in a tight split. Tim goes deep. Eddie goes on, on a Z over route. I might ask him about that to see if it's still his favorite play.
0: I love it. I love it. And also, he had a little bit of shade for Jonah Williams last time he was on the show, the show That's there right. here. And uh, we got to ask him about that. Got to ask him about the Hubbard play, all kinds of stuff. Excited to be joined by him. Probably in about 10 minutes or so, um, we'll be joined by him. But in the meantime, John Sheeran, we need to talk about the health and other things going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, they're, 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 a lot, they're missing a lot of key guys, but they've also, you know, as it went towards the end of the regular season, they got a lot of guys back, right? So it's kind of like a little bit of a yin and yang thing here. But before we kind of Tee up Tim McGee and and get all other kinds of different things that we're going to talk about. Tee us up a little bit on the status of things.
1: Yeah, so in case you don't know, the Bengals will ninety nine point nine nine percent be out in terms of percentage wise. Uh, they will be out both right guard Alex Kappa and Jonah Williams at left tackle for this game. Neither one has practiced this week. You saw Jonah Williams, I believe, walking around kind of gingerly, but that's considerable progress considering there was a bad knee dislocation four days ago Alex is still in a walking boot I guess that's an upgrade from the scooter that he had pretty soon after he suffered his ankle injury neither guy is, is practicing neither guy will play they are listed on the injury report the only other player who did not practice for the Bengals so far this week it's kind of interesting it's Trey Flowers who's been dressed for practice each of these days he's been on the field I think doing work on the side or at least some form of drill work with some uh, coaches or the training staff, but he's listed as uh, DMP for both Wednesday and Thursday. So I'm kind of interested to see what his designation is going to be. It might just be a game time decision questionable to see if he can work through this hamstring injury. If he's not good enough to practice, then that kind of leads me to believe that he probably isn't going to be good enough to play. But the fact that he is dressing and he has been dressing for practices and he's kind of with the team and whatever the case may be, like it kind of leaves me on the fence a little bit.
0: Yeah, and then, you know, you've got Osai with a, a shoulder issue, full practice, both uh, both days this week. Uh, Eli Apple, neck issue, full practice, both days this week. But um, yeah, the, Kappa and, and Jonah, the big ones on there, especially given the do not, did not practice designation there. Trey Flowers, a guy who was such a nice pickup last year, obviously a great resigning this year, but just hasn't had quite the same impact as he did down the stretch last year, guarding so many tight ends. But Uh, Still a valuable guy and a guy they will need to have on deck here as a lot of players have been banged up here for the Bengals. And then you see here uh, on the Bill side of things, Dane Jackson, the corner, uh, went limited Wednesday, full Thursday. Daquan Jones, the defensive end, uh, limited both days. Cam Lewis, the cornerback, full practice. Isaiah McKenzie has the hamstring issue, full practice both days. Poyer, a guy who was also on in the injury report, John, the last two, uh, the last time these two teams met um, and ended up, I believe he suited up for that game, if I remember correctly. So he was limited on Wednesday and then did not practice Thursday. So a little bit of a backslide there.
1: Yeah, he was a game-time decision for that canceled Monday night football game. He ended up playing. I think they're just kind of managing him right now. They're giving him a rest day in the middle of the week. Again, tomorrow's going to be walkthrough, so there's not going to be much, um, you know, strain on the, these, these guys d- during these final practices. What's notable to me is you have two defensive tackles and Jordan Phillips and Daquan Jones are kind of dealing with some stuff right now. They were, they've both been limited this week. They both might be game time decisions. If not, um, that's that's a issue for depth when you're talking about up the middle for the Bills defense. They still have Ed Oliver who's really coming into his zone as a fourth year guy at defensive tackle, but Daquan Jones has been really under the radar. A, a good pass rusher for the Bills yeah. defense, and you're talking about a Bengals offensive line that, again, is going to have a new configuration there. You know, they, they like to stunt, They like to twist. And, you know, they're not necessarily a powerhouse unit, but Daquan is still a decent player. And if he's not 100%, that's a factor.
0: It is a factor. Now, John, there is a, a little bit of another <laughs> – I don't know. I don't know if you want to call it a talking point. I don't know what, what you want to make of this thing. And I, I've – I think, unfortunately, a lot of folks have kind of – I, I don't know. They, they're they very defensive this week. Both both fan bases, both teams are very defensive this week. They, they feel like they're being slighted. They feel like they're the ones not getting the respect and all of that. Part of what got that snowball rolling down the hill, so to speak, for the Cincinnati Bengals and their fan base was the NFL making an announcement, or at least making public, that uh, giving a, a friendly nudge to the Chiefs and the Bills saying, hey, uh, time to get those tickets on sale for a potential AFC Championship game at the neutral site. Now, my initially I was like, "What did we?" And then when you look at the ticket prices, you go, "Okay, there's something weird going on here because the disparity between a potential Bengals and whomever is, uh, a matchup is way less than a Chiefs Bills ones that 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 hit you know Ticketmaster and StubHub and all the all the major ones there. The other thing is, is I, I think that. If you take a step back, this is just me. You may disagree. If you take a step back from it, I don't think it's so much a, hey, this is the game we're planning on. It's more like, hey, uh, usually you guys have this all dialed in because it's going to be at one of your venues. It's not at your venue. So we're just kind of making sure that you're on top of this because this isn't business as usual if it's a neutral site type of thing. That was my take on it. I'm sure other people are up in arms about it.
1: Well there was no announcement for any of the other three pre sale options here. Like there's a pre sale going on for an AFC championship game at Paycor Stadium. Should the Jag should the Jaguars beat the Chiefs on Saturday afternoon? Like that that's a thing. Like I don't think any Kansas City Chiefs players or fans are up in arms about the disrespect there. It, 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 the only disparity here, like you said, is the price. Right, it's four times the the prices that's for the other what, three.
0: That's the thing that stuck
1: out. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess is the case for just a neutral site like the NFL wants to take advantage of the spectacle, the potential spectacle that that could be with the top two seeds in the AFC playing in I don't want to say a Super Bowl type atmosphere, but where, where else are you going to get? A neutral side aside from the very last game of the NFL season like there's obviously hype with this potential matchup because of how epic that playoff game was almost exactly a year ago to to the day this year so yeah like you can put on your tinfoil hats and the conspiracy but like this happens is pretty regularly they they announce these pre-sale options the only thing here is that if the prices are this much like I don't think the NFL would hate the fact that this matchup is possible you know
0: I don't think they would hate the fact that the matchup is possible now here's a question for you what do you do you think that they would just be the league that is be uber disappointed in say something that maybe looks far out of the realm of possibility which is the Bengals hosting the Jaguars do you think they would be upset about because here's the thing you look at you look at the potential matchups if if it is let's just say it's Jaguars Bengals right you have Trevor Lawrence and you have Joe Burrow and the storyline there 2 number back-to-back number one overall picks who, oh, by the way, went head-to-head against each other in the, the big college cha- football championship a few years ago. I mean, there's a nice storyline there and two top picks there. You, obviously, all the things that are involved in the Bills-Chiefs storylines given the playoff game last year. But then, John, there's the, the whole deal also about this budding rivalry between the Bengals and the Chiefs too. So – I you know I don't while while we want to think that you know the NFL did the Bengals dirty in a lot of different ways and there's some smoke signals that point to potentially some things that aren't uh, on the up and up I I still kind of feel like I don't I don't know that there's much of a rig job here because there are so many other potential matchups that would make the league happy because of star players involved in the games.
1: Notice how you didn't say Bills Jags. There's no storyline for that. So if the well, Jags, I guess beat the I Chiefs, guess Allen. Yeah. If the Jags beat the Chiefs, then you can bet the Bengals are beating the Bills. The NFL will make sure of that.
0: Yeah, there you go. There you go. I, I left that one out for sure. I guess I, that was the one. There's so many possibilities, and <laughs> you just forget it. But I mean that one too, though. Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence, the, the no, big quarterbacks. Big no guy. one's watching well, that. I guess not. I guess not. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um. So, we're, we're getting set to be joined by Tim McGee in a couple minutes here. Michaela Garfield, YouTube subscriber. Michaela Garfield, what is up, day? And you can uh, be a member of our YouTube channel, like Michaela. Get shout out, special stuff, swag, all kinds of stuff. Michaela's the best. We appreciate you. Uh, John, before we get Tim McGee on, um, obviously we're going to ask him a lot of stuff, and then we're going to break down some stuff after we talk to him. What else do we need to get to, uh, news and notes-wise?
1: Well, I was going to bring up just Joe Mixon's reaction to the whole pre-sale thing. And I feel like like this is just, it just kind of confirms the fact that the Bengals are the personification of Michael Jordan in the last dance. Like they will weaponize anything that they take personally, because like this is just something that's just trained in their minds at this point. Like they've just dealt with this for the past two years now. And we've talked about this a a couple weeks ago, like how long can you sustain just being the underdog and just constantly feeding yourself everything that you can get your hands on to motivate you. Obviously, it's worked out for Tom Brady. He's lasted two decades with a chip on his shoulder that's only grown and grown. It's probably continues to grow after this season. But I, Joe Mixon was quoted by saying like it's disrespectful, but we're not worried about that expletive. Um, like it, it's just normal for these guys to just absorb what whatever is being pumped out. Like you have freaking Eric Weddle now who's saying the Bengals have no chance on Kay Adams show like I'm sure that's being fed into the locker room at this point there's a lot of things that every team and every player can kind of gauge w- with being the underdog and you know it just it just continues
0: yeah I mean not not no chance John zero chance zero chance Weddle. Zero chance. uh yeah and you know I, I was gonna put something out like this uh as a response to that but you know whatever right uh, you see that and you go, man, this team gets doubted. And how often do the the people who doubt them and openly doubt them have a, uh, some egg on their face? Right. I mean, it's like, man, I don't, I don't really understand why you keep going back to the well of doubting Joe Burrow doubting Zach Taylor, doubting this team. Look, I mean, in these biggest games, the last two seasons, this team is four and one and they've won. What, what are they on nine straight now? Uh, so, including this last win, I mean it. I I don't really understand the open, um, just doubting and why that's such a in vogue thing for people to to continue to not believe that this Bengals team is going to make some noise in the postseason.
1: I have a theory, like say in a very twisted, demented alternative reality, Joe Burrow ends up on the Browns. Right, and oh my he, just, gosh. He, turn, are, he turns. Around where, are like, he turn, where are we going? Where no, are we going? So he turns around <laughs> that franchise, right? He does everything that he does with the Bengals, right? Okay. And now the Browns are, are the new darling, right? I'm sure Bengals fans would try to discredit and be salty about the Browns being relevant and winning playoff games and going to a Super Bowl and being in the headlines, like the the Ravens. Their current and former players. Now you have Bart Scott. You have Eric Weddle, who, by the way, only spent a couple of years with the Ravens. Like he's not a career Raven. He's a career Charger. He should be mad about the Chargers blowing a 28 point lead. It's just this weird new dynamic of getting adjusted to the Bengals being good because they are legit and they're good. And I don't think people can compose themselves correctly because of it.
0: I want to ask this again, because we've talked about this a couple of times leading up to the Ravens game. And, and obviously we had a really cool chat with Daniel Wilcox, former, former Ravens tight end and whatnot, but it, it kind of centered around this topic of like, was no, the bills are a tough, Draw. They're a tough team. Their quarterback is excellent. We know all of that. Obviously, the Chiefs, the same deal. But when you look at the Bengals' track record of success of late against Kansas City, um, what we maybe saw a glimpse of on Monday night and the history between the Bengals and familiarity between the Bengals and the Ravens, could you make a suitable argument that the Baltimore Ravens draw, even at home, would be the the toughest or... uh, in in contention with the toughest between those two, even though it was an opening round team.
1: I think so, just because of how well Baltimore knows them and how just stout and complete that defense is. And the fact that, I mean, Jesse Bates was pretty vocal this week about being excited to not play a triple option offense anymore. And I feel like that resonates with the entire defense of how you have to change everything in your preparation. You have 30 other potential opponents they don't run the same offenses, but like this offense is very unique. It's very special. It's designed around specific talents. And that, that just changes your preparation, it changes your film study, it changes your practice, and it changes how you manage yourself throughout the game with just dealing with new things that you don't have to deal with with other teams and it's kind of a, it's a it's a nuisance it's annoying right and you have to deal with that twice in an eight-day span and it's always tough to play the same team twice the Bengals haven't had the greatest success in doing so in recent years like we look back to the Jets in, in that playoff game when they rested their starters and they got blown up by 37 and then they came out flat against Mark Sanchez and Darrell Revis so regardless if Tyler Huntley wasn't this world beater quarterback he still played well and the Ravens again have a really good defense that understands what the Bengals like to do well it was always going to be a tough
0: matchup so we're we're waiting to hear from uh tim mcgee here hopefully we'll be joined by him in a couple minutes i know you've got some stuff on the offensive line maybe we'll get to that first uh while we wait for him but before we do when you look at the ravens uh, i i think uh you know there's some uh, what what was their offensive coordinator roman left Mm -hmm. uh left willingly with a year left on his contract here uh, a mutual parting of the ways i guess or whatever you want to call it but what is this team if you're if you're looking at it from the Bengals lens looking into the Ravens what does this team need to do now they've got a, a stud linebacker in Roquan Smith obviously the defensive pieces are there they have a, a stout running game who knows what that's going to look like now that their offensive line is gone but or excuse me their offensive coordinator is gone is it just a matter of hey get some more passing weapons make sure Lamar's healthy i mean what what, what does this team need to do in order to you know, kind of, they keep getting bounced out of the playoffs or just missing the playoffs, even though they've got a good head coach and a talented roster. I don't know from your standpoint, what would you? I'm kind of saying you got you got to get some receiving weapons. I know that's not the focal point of how they run their office offense, but they need an, they need a viable threat somewhere there. Um, the guy, and that's kind of my take.
1: Commit to Lamar. Like, just do it at this point. Like, w- w- what is the alternative? Are you gonna you going to do the draft? You're going to draft another quarterback? You're going to try to. You know, persuade Aaron Rodgers to come there, like commit to Lamar. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's a better thrower than people give him credit for. Put him in an actual real real offense like he was in Louisville and watch him thrive. He's got years of development under his belt. He's a very talented quarterback. He should be in the process of deciding who the next offense coordinator is. Commit to him. Like, d- don't worry about these injury issues. Don't worry about some of these just archaic you know criticisms of him as a thrower or anything like that. Commit to him. Get that foundation settled, and then go from there. Obviously, you want better receiving talent around Lamar. You still want to utilize Mark Andrews and your tight ends and everything like that. You still want to utilize his strength as a runner, but like just make him a just put him in a real offense, man. Don't don't enough with with this just messing with you know his athleticism, and everything like that. Just put just commit to him fully. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for
0: it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it? Well, let's uh, while we're waiting for Tim McGee to join us, former Bengals wide receiver, uh, played in the Super Bowl with the team and then iconic 1988 team, and then of course uh, you can hear him on the radio for all kinds of pregame and postgame coverage cover on the radio covering the Cincinnati Bengals. John, you had some stuff on Jackson Carmen you wanted to share to share with us, and as we talked about, you know, all the injuries on the offensive line, and you know, there's there's now questions. Based on last week, let up a sack, but he had some good moments. Did Jackson Carmen in relief of Jonah Williams? There was talk, you know, do you move a, a over to the left and bring in Prince back to the right, and just keep Carmen on the bench? Carmen is a left tackle. Do you do you keep him there like he played at Clemson in college? Uh, just kind of what you what you saw from him in this one against the Ravens as he came in relief from uh, for for Jonah Williams.
1: Well, I wanted to look back at how he did in this game against the Ravens and I, I isolated a handful of clips that uh, you're seeing on YouTube. Um, if you're listening on an audio audio platform, just go to the 18-minute mark or whatever on the actual YouTube video and you can see some of these clips that I posted on Twitter. And honestly, my biggest takeaway was his feet are a lot lighter than I remember him being at guard. Like like athleticism and just explosion out of his stance wasn't really a strong suit in his first couple of years with the Bengals, but I'm seeing, you know, pretty decent footwork for a left tackle, albeit Tyus Bowser and, and uh, Oa aren't the greatest edge rushers in the world. They don't really have that much speed around the edge. But this is, I think, the one sack that he allowed, and he stopped his feet. And I think Tyus Bowser was kind of setting him up for that. But like that was my biggest takeaway with uh, watching Carmen, you know, watching him from like th- these angles instead of just being in the stadium, and not really noticing him. So like that was my that was my takeaway. And when I posted this. I kind of started seeing a lot of conversations about, oh, what if this is the chance where Jackson Carmen kind of redeems himself and he becomes from a draft bust to a potential option left tackle beyond Jonah Williams. And it's like everything's just started getting way out of proportion when I'm just trying to isolate, you know, like a, a single trait that I noticed was improved compared to the last time that we saw Jackson Carmen. And it's just been a weird year, man, because obviously everything that happened in April with the report of what, of what happened in Clemson, I didn't really need, even know how to address this because he's now back. In the spotlight after we kind of just wrote him off, right? He lost the competition at left guard. He's been a healthy scratch for the vast majority of the season. We just haven't heard of him. He's been on the scout team. He's been really just putting his head, you know, nose to the grindstone to kind of work on his craft. And it looks like a lot of it has been paying off. So, like Anthony, when we talk about consistency for an offensive lineman, can you expect that from Jackson Carmen now in this three potentially a three game span where he's at the most important offensive line position on 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 the group?
0: Well, consistency since he's been with the Bengals has not been the 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 strong suit. You know, you you've, you've seen we've talked about this where there's just this wild swinging of the pendulum uh, in terms of inconsistency and whatnot. So, what what I saw this was this was some of the best. I mean, granted, it was limited in terms of the amount of snaps and stuff, but this was some of the best tape uh, in a game that I've seen from him uh, from from what I kind of went back and watched. Now, granted, there was the sack given up where he just kind of got beat. Um, there's times where he gets kind of pushed back a little bit, but he kind of replants and, and reasserts himself, which is nice. The light foot, the kind of lighter feet, lighter footwork, that sort of thing, do you attribute that just to, you know, a, a year, another year in the NFL, more coaching, et cetera, et cetera, or do you attribute that more to that back? Because remember, he had that surgery on his back going into the draft. Um, and so that may have hindered him. May have He looks – I mean – from what I can tell, maybe maybe slim down a tiny bit as well. Uh, so, I, do, do you attribute anything to the the surgery thing, or do you think that this is just you know kind of growth as a player in, in his you know second year with the team?
1: I suppose there's comfort, there's comfortability just being back at a position that he played in at high school and in college, and like that footwork, it, like it's I think he equated to just you know getting back on the bike, right? It's just you, you don't really forget if you have a familiarity in – everything that comes with that at playing that position, then the footwork I think is more natural compared to just doing the, these jump sets out of either guard spot, right? Where you kind of get beat initially if your hands aren't great, but I, I think you saw like one, one of his positives coming out of Clemson was like the, the hand usage that he had just working with his hands independently where it wasn't these two handed punches. It was landing in different strike zones and just having this reserve power that just, was just throughout his body, right? He just had this strength that couldn't really be matched by a bunch of other edge rushers that he faced at Clemson, and you combined that footwork that he spent years kind of honing into with those hand uses, and you got a player that didn't really get beat that much by Chase Young in a college football playoff game. So I think being back at this position and practicing there, more importantly, like he's practiced at basically all four spots because that's what you do when you're a third-string offensive lineman in the NFL, right? So just... Getting those reps in throughout the year, being healthy, like you said, that definitely makes a difference as well. I'm not really sure about his weight, but I think the fact that he's back at a position that he's familiar with, that makes the footwork a lot better, and I think everything is starting to click again. But again, he's still not proven at all as an NFL starter. He's back at a position that he doesn't have a ton of NFL experience at, so it's still you know finding his way back at the spot, even though he has a history with it. And I just worry about a week to week thing, right? It's the same thing with Max Sharpen- Sharpening. Like he didn't have the greatest game against the Ravens, but I don't, I don't see him as a player who's going to continually struggle. Like these guys who are just in this tier of quality when you are starting them, like you'll get mixed results from a week to week basis. You are seeing it this year with Cordo Volson, even though the the for the most part, like the the macro view of him is that he's a decent player. Like he's had some rough weeks, just like he's had some good weeks, and I feel like that's what you are going to get with both. Uh, sharp sharpening you can throw any hakeem identity into the equation and jackson carmen that's just the reality that the Bengals have of the offensive line right now
0: so while we continue to uh we're waiting to hear from tim mcgee to see if he's going to be uh coming on here we're we're planning on him coming on to talk about this matchup but uh while we wait for him john let's let's continue to talk about some of the offensive line you know Matchups, key things, and all of that. So obviously, this Bills team doesn't have Von Miller anymore, uh, out for the year with an injury. But they do have, as you mentioned, Evans, the the emerging uh, edge player, and of course Rousseau, a young player who's also doing some things there. I, you know, w- when you look at Carmen going up against some of those players, what what do you think? I mean, what do you can he hold up? Is it was some of his success this last week? because of limited snaps um, and di- we didn't have a full game sample size to go with, or is this a guy that you're like, Hey, you know, he can maybe keep this afloat here against a team that a Buffalo defense. that's pretty good, but definitely not as good as the Ravens defense, I, I guess from top to bottom.
1: Yeah. I, I really don't know, to be honest, like I think people are getting a little carried away with saying, Oh, the bills pass rush. is not exactly their strong suit, right? It's, it's not a dominating unit. They don't have a dominant player since Von Miller, has been injured well that's all relative to the competition right if you have a subpar pass rush against average an average offensive line going up against an offensive line that its current iteration is objectively below average right it's just a lot of pieces being thrown together at this point with not a lot of proven players at each at each position you're going to get wins from the bills pass rush you have shaq lawson coming off the right edge you have greg rousseau coming off the left edge so both guys are more of power rushers. They don't really have a ton of speed to be had around the edge. Power against Denji when in the form of Greg Rousseau, that kind of concerns me because Denji isn't really that great up against power rushers, and he's susceptible to inside counters. Along the inside, Ed Oliver is a burst of energy. At three technique, Daquan Jones, we already talked about him. He's a pretty good complement. To him, you have Ted Karras essentially as your only like high quality interior alignment and centers don't really get tested that much in pass protection. I, I think it's the most equal matchup of the game because again, neither unit is that strong, but when you have equality in the trenches, you typically like to lean towards the defensive line and the same kind of applies to the opposite side of the ball, right? When the Bengals are rushing Josh Allen, like I, I feel like that's a definite advantage for the Bengals against the Bills offensive line, who again, is not a very good unit. Spencer Brown and Deion Dawkins, they're not very good against speed. That's right up of Trey Hendrickson's wheelhouse. Sam Hubbard has gotten a lot better of rushing out the edge. But again, going back to the Bengals offensive line, it's kind of weakness versus weakness. And again, like I think when all things are considered, the Bills will have opportunities.
0: Yeah, I and mean, there's there's some other names on the roster as well. Uh, Shaq Lawson, A.J. Epinisa, some guys uh, that have contributed to the, the pass rush game for Buffalo this year. And um, that's uh, – it's definitely going to be that's, – that's the point in the area wherein a guy like Eric Weddle comes on the air and says the Bengals quote-unquote have zero chance because of the offensive line att- issues and attrition injuries up front. Um, and so we look at this game, John, is that where you see this game being won or lost overall, or do you see it be more of a situation? Because look, the Bills defense, while it, it's got some talented names uh, kind of scattered throughout most of its unit, they're giving up points, they're giving up yards, they're giving up, uh, you know, games that they're making games a lot closer, especially when you have kind of a high powered offense. And, and there seems to be, I guess a weakness in their unit, maybe where it's the middle of the field, the intermediate passing game, you know, their their linebackers maybe aren't the strongest in coverage, et cetera, et cetera. So might this be the good, the week where, you know, again, everybody's saying Burrow in that offensive line, but can they counteract that with the quick hitters to Boyd, to Higgins across the middle, and that's going to be the cure-all? Or is this just going to be, you know, five, six sack game that that's going to not be uh, really fun to watch from an offensive perspective.
1: Well, I don't think Burrow gets sacked five or six times in this one. He might get sacked at like a an anvil, right? And that's just comes to the territory of having Joe Burrow and, you know, sometimes he'll extend plays and sometimes he'll just end up eating one or two. And undoubtedly you're going to have offensive linemen in this game, getting beat. And it's just a matter of Burrow getting the ball out quickly or evading them, extending the plays, getting out of the pocket. The biggest thing for me though, is like, I go back to what Joe Mixon said about the Bills linebackers and the fact that, oh, they're not the Ravens. Well, Matt Milano is like an all-pro. Trayman Trey, uh, Ed- Edmonds, I don't think I'm saying his name right, is a phenomenal athlete at the linebacker. Like, these guys click and close very fast. And you're talking mm-hmm. about an offense that has gotten so accustomed to sending your receivers vertical because you have defenses that are just living in Tampa too. And Joe Burrow has gotten so quick and aggressive and just targeting Joe Mixon out of the backfield as a check down. Well, now you're going up against linebackers who aren't going to give up that much space. Or when they do give up space, they're going to come downhill very quickly and they're going to force Mixon to make a miss. Hasn't always been Mixon's strong suit with the ball in his hand. So instead of having like seven or eight yards and some of these checkdowns to Mixon against some of these soft coverages, you might only get three or four or five, right? And that leads to potentially longer third downs. It puts more stress on the Bengals' third down unit, which again is right up there with the Chiefs and the Bills in terms of effectiveness despite not always being you know third and manageable like they've lived on converting third downs this year and that's what the good teams have to do but the really good teams, they also convert on first and second down, and that's going to be another key for the Bengals. Like They can stretch the Bills' defense a little bit better than they could with the Ravens, even though they had some minimal success against the Ravens in terms of generating explosive plays. It's going to come down to T. Higgins and Jamar Chase winning, winning on the outside. You still have a backup safety playing uh, for the Bills uh, and for Micah Hyde, who's not going to come back in this game. I think there's going to be a lot of tension on Jamar Chase. They're going to try to bracket him with Jordan Poyer. They might put Jordavius White on him. They might put Kyer Elam on him, who's got really long arms. Maybe they save Elam for T Higgins because he's kind of the more of, this, of the equal size matchup. But how they handle like generating you know yards underneath some of these coverages against those linebackers who do really good who do a really good job of getting downhill quickly that might be the key to this game.
0: Last week against the Ravens, Joe Mixon you know there were there are a handful of occasions where on first down they gave him the ball and he was able to kind of scoot forward and get a decent gain on on first down and i think that's going to be another big key this week for the team that you know you can't get yourself in these third and longs like you just said i mean I, I, that's just such a a clutch situation and it's even more so a, a dire need to get the the big yards on for early downs first downs that sort of thing not necessarily via mixing but maybe using him that would be nice to to achieve that kind of balance but uh, they need to get good yards on early downs because it makes dry it obviously makes conversions a lot easier but also this time around they're not at home they're on the road and it's going to be loud as hell there and you know when when you're facing maybe a third and two versus a third and seven, a third and eight deep in your own territory. The noise becomes a factor. And oh, by the way, there's those three replacement offensive linemen in there. False starts can occur. That's when kind of things can, can snowball on you. Disaster can kind of strike. So that's where I think, like you mentioned, the early downs are super critical for the Bengals to get, you know, some positive momentum.
1: And then there's the other side of the ball, right? You have the Bengals defense going up against this moose of a quarterback in Josh Allen. And this, the most vertical offense that I've I've seen in recent years, and it's one of the questions that I would like to ask Tim if he ever does come on the program here. But I I don't think like I think there's going to be a lot of attention regarding like how the Bengals stop Josh Allen right or, or at least try to contain him. But Anthony, I found it interesting that you know the Bengals may may not have liked to play the Ravens twice in a row, but I think there's value in playing quarterbacks like Anthony Brown and Tyler Huntley. Who like to get out of the pocket who do these play action rollouts who throw on the run outside of the pocket and also who have these design runs i think there's value in experience with that before you end up playing josh allen because i went through the the dolphins bills tape and there are identical plays of these design runs for allen or just times where he's escaping the pocket and either you have this four uh four man rush who's trying to contain him in the pocket and you have defensive tackles shedding blocks finding him and tracking him down or you have either a strong safety or a linebacker spying him over the middle of the field and you have more aggression out of your pass rushers because you you know you have help in the second level and there were just multiple identical examples between the Bengals defense and the Dolphins defense handling each respective quarterback and Josh Allen's going to give you opportunities like I, I don't think like it's the key of the game because we just know what to expect with Allen at this point. He's going to try to burn the Bengals deep. He was absolutely going to try to throw over the heads of Von Bell, Jesse Bates, Eli Apple, all those guys. And they're obviously going to be more conservative in their coverage because of that. But Allen's going to get out of the pocket. He's going to be reckless with the ball that's not been trained out of him. And he's going to put the ball on the ground at least once. He's going to put the ball in harm's way a couple of times when he's throwing the ball, like that's just going to happen. And it's up to the Bengals defense continuing to be this clutch, hydra unit you know when one guy goes down another guy steps in and there's just no drop off right those those opportunities exist and i feel like they've never been in a more better state in terms of preparation to face him
0: i mean you took the words out of my mouth a little bit josh allen's going to give you opportunities to either you know create game-changing plays you know or or just give it up there now there's going to be the throws the frozen ropes are 40 50 yards down the field the big bombs what have you so those will be there too there's going to be some frustrating moments i think in this one if you're you know wanting the Bengals defense to really clamp down on things he's just too talented and too good his arms too good his his mobility's too good but there is the carelessness aspect i guess with the football i mean you you mentioned that the turnovers and uh, potential turnovers last week against miami and I, I think that's where this team, this Bengals team, can really get to be opportunistic in this one and not, not only keep this close, but maybe maybe even if there's enough opportunities and they seize them that they will uh, be able to, you know, come out of this one with a win. And here's, here's the thing that I've noticed, too. And there's a viral video out there from Dan Orlovsky a few weeks ago from ESPN talking about burrow in the pocket and his ability, even with the, I think it was the finale against the Ravens when he's breaking down some things and burrow in the pocket and his ability and knowing that to get that second hand on the football as he's maneuvering in the pocket while also dancing around defenders. Uh, and that's to obviously protect the football, avoid a fumble in case there's a rogue arm that comes in there to smack the ball out. Um, it seems that Josh Allen in doing all of these things uh, sometimes doesn't have that same, uh, I I guess, second uh, sixth sense, so to speak, to get that other hand in there when the pocket's kind of crumbling around him. And granted, we've seen him do it a number of times where he gets out of these situations where you go, what? And and obviously makes big throws, big runs, that sort of thing. But we've also seen the opposite happen.
1: Yeah, like, again, like that's just not... That's just who he is at this point. Like he trusts his athleticism, he trusts his strength so much, almost to a fault. Where like these these bad plays do happen, and the Bills have just learned to accept it because you just have this surplus of explosive plays and plays that you just don't get with ninety nine percent of other quarterbacks. They're, like he's one of one in the sense where you have to play eleven on eleven, but you also have to cover you know the seventy yards behind you because he can just that he can throw it that far very effortlessly and then it comes down to you know like the coverages and the type of defenses that you have to run and I don't think the analysis is any different than what we talked about a few weeks ago when they came to Cincinnati like he doesn't do that well against the blitz teams aren't really that afraid of going man up on him in in certain spots but Stefan Diggs still exists Gabe Davis still exists and that arm still exists so if Allen does get the ball out before your guys arrive like they have the receiving talent to create separation against man coverage and to beat you over the top. Like the Dolphins came out aggressively as hell in that game, and they were playing cover one, cover three, cover zero at times. Like that, that was the call on like a third and f- 15 when Josh Allen like threw the ball 50 hearts to Cape Davis or Stephon Diggs down the field that led to the game's first touchdown. So you have to be careful about when you make those calls, but. There, there is some data to support the fact that if you blitz Josh Allen, you get him under pressure, that's when the mistakes start. And also, you know, if you get speed around the edge of him, when he steps up, his, his eyes don't really drop, but he just starts running without a plan. And he, again, I, th- I feel like there's like an innate trust in himself to make a positive play happen, and it's up to defenders to be aware of where he is and just close in on him, and that will lead to sacks, and that will lead to bad plays that the Bengals can capitalize on.
0: Well, uh, we're waiting to hear from Tim McGee here. He confirmed with us earlier today, and so uh, hopefully we can get him on here before we start closing up to talk about this game. Here, is it? I don't want to sound like the old school guy and you know uh, ground and pound and all that kind of stuff, but with inclement weather, even with these quarterbacks, does does the running game? Take I I kind of feel like the running game takes a bigger prominence this week than maybe a couple of weeks ago even, right? I mean, I know this is a showcase of quarterbacks and the wide receiver talent, the passing, all of that, but just with the weather um, and, you know, again, the, the other thing with it too, you know, I, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to say this or that and the other thing, but we had another miss last week from Evan McPherson on an extra point cold weather it's like kicking a cinder block I don't know man Um, I know the Bengals have struggled running the ball of late might this just be the type of game where either team really wants to try and establish that either by balance or just kind of to control the game because of the weather mostly well
1: to the Bills credit they've been relying less on Josh Allen running the ball like I think he only ran it twice or three times against the Dolphins they have this now duo running backs and Singletary And cook that they like to implement, and I feel like the threat of Allen kind of makes that thing kind of go, just like the threat of Huntley or Jackson with the Ravens. Um, So I I think the Bills will will try to run the ball a little bit. It's just it's just with the Bengals now, like there's this narrative that the Bengals can beat you multiple ways, but right now they can't beat you running the ball. Like they weren't terrible against the Ravens in this regard, but not in the sense that they could just give the ball to Joe Mixon 25 times and feel comfortable. Like that obviously wasn't the case. Like they couldn't run against the Ravens for two weeks straight. Now they're going up against the Bills defense that again is really sound in their keys. They have really good linebackers. They have they have Daquan Jones and Shaq Lawson who can set the edge and get in and get into the backfield a little bit. So it it'll probably depend on how the game is going. Like if, if you're Zach Taylor, if you're you know Brian Callahan, if you're Joe Burrow and the and the Bills are having a day where they're creating explosive plays and they're and they're putting points on the board, like I, I don't think you can just lean back on Joe Mixon at that point. Like the game is is going to dictate itself based off of how it goes. And I I don't even think that it's going to start off like giving it to Mixon. Like, if the game goes a different way and then then they have control, like, I think that every team would love to just lean on their running back at this point. But I think the pressure of going up against a quarterback that can just break the game at any moment, if your defense hasn't made that play yet, which again, not counting the Bengals out for making any clutch play on defense at the end of the game. But if Allen is having a decent day, I feel like there is going to be pressure to just put it all in Burrow.
0: Well, uh, we usually go a handful of minutes more. We're going to probably have to, unfortunately reschedule Tim McGee. We had some confirmation from him earlier and I don't, I don't know what's going on there, but, uh, we'll see if we can sneak him in here at the end. Uh, I suppose I could probably dive off and call him if I, if I (laughs) wanted to on the air here, but, uh, at any rate, we'll, we'll see what we can do there. Um, Predictions for this one, John. Obviously, we talked Keys. We talked Jackson Carmen. We talked running game. We talked all kinds of different things. Keys for this one for you uh, and and predictions, um, rather, for, for you in this one.
1: You have a quarterback who is guaranteed to give you at least one or two opportunities of turnovers. You have a defense that has this innate act of forcing turnovers at the right time. It feels like we're, we're going to be expecting like that slip up from Allen like throughout the game. And he may put together like a perfect three quarters of football, but when the fourth quarter comes around, the Bengals haven't made that play. It almost feels like a guarantee at this point that a play is going to be made. I feel like the Bengals offense, I'm, I'm not leaning on that, that nine minute period that, that they had against the bills saying like, Oh, like they're going to replicate that over a four quarter span. Like the bills defense is still a pretty solid unit but I don't think they're as intimidating in the Bengals' eyes as the Ravens' defense is. I feel like that was the case entry Monday night. I feel like that's the case now. There's obviously the the factor of going into a hostile environment with a new configuration offensive line and dealing with a, with a silent count for the first time in a couple of weeks. It, it, it'll probably probably be a concern regardless if it was like the week one offensive line out there, but there is the fact that the Bengals haven't had a ton of pre-snap issues here. So that factor is taken into account for. I still think the Bengals' offense... Is going to put up a decent performance. The Bills are going to score. They're going to generate explosive plays. Let's just get that out of the way. Josh Allen is going to do Josh Allen things. Stephon Diggs is going to do Stephon Diggs things. With that same confidence, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, they're going to do their usual thing too. So this game is going to be close. It's going to be a one-score game. I can definitely see a Bengals turnover at the end. Coming up again at the right moment. And again, one-score game. I think when you even everything out and how the game is going to go, kind of see the Bengals kind of eking this one out at the end. So I'm going to go Bills 31 Bengals 30. <laughs>
0: uh I hope people caught on. people caught on. By the way, do, uh, our uh member here Michaela said uh did you did you catch this? I did not. Jake Lis blasted you this week on on the show. Uh I assume that means locked on Bengals. Did you see it? Did you Wait, what it?
1: show? Does this does have a podcast? <laughs>
0: He does. He does. Yes, he does. He, he promoted it on our show uh, at one point. Yeah. No, I, I did not. I did not check it out. We'll have to. We'll have to. I don't know. Get him on here, or you guys will have to tell us about it. I, you know, I've gone back and forth on this one in terms of how I feel about it, how what I think is going to happen, and yeah, I, I could, I could kind of see this going either way. I saw the Monday night game going either way. You know, there are times where I'm like, you know, I'm going to do a prediction and. I, you know i i feel like i was going to just pick the bills just you know a road game and this is this is where the road ends but this key, this team just keeps proving people wrong it keeps proving doubters wrong it, last week it looked pretty bleak john i feel like uh at that at that moment when tyler huntley was going to reach that ball over the goal line and kind of a miracle happened here so i don't uh I don't know. I I I kind of feel like how you put it, where I just feel like maybe the Bengals are just going to make that one extra play this week because I do feel, I do feel that the Bengals were pretty evenly matched against the Ravens in terms of talent, and I mean, there's you know their their opposites are are their strengths, right? You you kind of felt like Bengals passing, Ravens rushing, Bengals offense. Ravens defense you know it just kind of goes back and forth back and forth and, and so you feel like there's some evenness there you feel like there's some evenness in this one between these two teams and more similarities in terms of what they like to do how they're built and, and all kinds of different things so um, I'm going to say 28 no I will say 27 24 Bengals that's going to be my prediction. Twenty-seven, twenty-four. Not necessarily. And I, I could see thirty plus points each team, but maybe with the weather, I'm I'm cutting that down a little bit. And uh, again, I I do not I do not doubt that the Bills can definitely win this game. But I just I don't know, man. I this this team just keeps doing it. They just keep putting it together. Maybe this is the week they hit the buzzsaw. I don't know that like everybody's predicting. But I just I can't I can't doubt them until they give me a reason to.
1: And you know what like the the bills have everything going for them in terms of things that motivate them right they have you know demar Hamlin back in the facility they've dealt with a lot this year um they dealt with a community that dealt with a, a lot of depths in, in a snowstorm um they dealt with like the sickness of their owner like it, it's been it's been a crazy year for the bills and like it feels like just two teams that are just coming up here like meeting each other again in almost this battle of destiny right the bengal's are on this revenge tour of trying to get back to where they were last year so you know whoever wins i feel like people can feel pretty good about the results and i feel like there's gonna be a lot of Bengals fans that are gonna be rooting for the bills if that is the case if they end up going on but i'll say this though if this game was a neutral site we probably wouldn't get the chance of a snowstorm or at least any snow and that's always fun to watch
0: yeah yeah i guess that's one way to look at it well unfortunately i don't I uh not sure what happened to to tim but john if you if you've seen tim mcgee or listened to tim mcgee on our show um this this hasn't been the first time where uh you know it it maybe gets postponed a week and hopefully we'll be talking to him after Bengals win so we'll try and get him on i guess next week or uh maybe even tomorrow if he's willing and able for a special episode there we'll we'll try and see what's going on there but at any rate let's drop the mic and get out of here what do you got for us
1: uh, just a simple request. If you are making the brave trek to uh, always sunny Buffalo uh, this weekend or however long that drive is for you and you're tailgating, if you see anyone breaking tables or if you yourself are breaking tables, please videotape it. it I, I would love for nothing else. If, if the Bengals we'll have to lose on Sunday and we need stuff to talk about to make us feel good, we will play any video of Bengals fans breaking tables or Bills fans breaking tables, or maybe both in a camaraderie and a sense of community breaking the table together. So if you see any, please send it to us. We would love to show a montage.
0: What we will not share is the viral video of the uh, poor Ravens fan, who I think is a Ohio <laughs> or Kentucky native. Um, wh- let's just say he was wallowing in some of his own filth. Uh, that's yeah. the kind of stuff. That and knuckleheads in the stands, you know, uh, throwing hands at each other. That's the kind of crap we're not going to share on this show. But uh, if you are a Bengals fan, I think my guy, Drew Garrison's talking about jumping through tables and stuff. He's going to the game. So if you're a Bengals fan, whatever, shoot us those videos and whatnot. Again, sorry about the confusion with Tim McGee. We'll have to figure that out and reschedule him. He's always a good time to talk to you. But you had John and I yammering on about the Bills, the Bengals, and all kinds of different things. Hopefully you enjoyed that this week. And I don't know, man, I, I guess my, my other thought is a question for you. What do you, what do you think the atmosphere around because of the DeMar, DeMar Hamlin thing. And because of the, you know, the closeness of these two teams in a lot of different ways, what do you think the air around that stadium is going to be this weekend? Do you think it's going to be jovial? Do you think it's going to be really serious? Do you think it's going to be, contentious in between these two teams too you know i mean obviously there was chippiness the last couple weeks between the Bengals and the ravens not quite the same rivalry here um and and obviously everything that happened a few weeks ago so i don't know i i don't really have a good answer i'm trying to think of like what the atmosphere may be like here uh in buffalo this week
1: it's buffalo man they always come prepared and I, i think initially there's gonna be not tension but like Oh yeah, like we we've played this team before a couple weeks ago, and and something really tragic happened. But I think seeing Demar on the field, like I think that's what's gonna what's gonna be. T Higgins said that he's he wants to you know chop it up with him and like and, and connect with him in person for the first time or the first time since he was in Cincinnati. I feel like just his presence there, seeing him be okay, I feel like it's gonna make people feel a, a lot more comfortable about everything and obviously just the good news with him being okay I think has improved a lot of people's you know d- uh, d- deposition with everything that's happened so there might be some minor tension in the beginning but you know as soon as the chips are down and the, and the game is well underway like this this will just be classic
0: afc playoffs yeah Hopefully it's going to be a fun atmosphere and I think it will be and stay warm. For those of you going to the game, it sounds like it's going to be a cold one with the snow, et cetera. Take care everybody. This has been the orange and black insider. And Oh, by the way, you can get this show on our YouTube channel over by John. There is a show icon underneath the SB nation logo. Click that. As you watch the video, subscribe, click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available, give a thumbs up on the Cincy jungle Facebook page. And then of course you can subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel on your favorite audio streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. We are there. John, uh, we'll be back. Hopefully we'll be talking about a win in, in the next couple of days, my friend. Take care. Yep. See you guys.